0: Hey, BWB fans, are you looking for an amazing clash detection plugin? Are you looking for something to speed up the coordination process for you and all those that are working with you on the project? Well, then I implore you to check out Sherlock. It's Awesome plugin, revolutionary by this company called Flypaper. What Sherlock does allows us to speed up the, the clash detection process, and it's got a lot of amazing functionality. It was actually voted uh, one of the top five plugins by national BIM consulting firm Viatechnic. Hey Dave, what are some of your favorite features? They've
1: got some pretty good tools in here. I'll start out with the heat map tool. So essentially, this one gives you the ability to click to highlight some of the worst areas in your model, and then if you double click, it actually allows you to tag your class groups for your team. They have the distill tool which is a simply essentially a grouping tool based on your um, established model hierarchy and then you have the orient tool which the orient tool kind of reminds me of what we had in in glue kind of old school bim 360 glue but it allows you to orient anyone to the exact pipe conduit duct you know section anything in your model. Like like I said there create that kind of shared view and send that off to your team. So if you're looking for coordination, um, like Joe said, this this add-in has some very, very helpful tools. It's built right into Navisworks. So you're going to see as you take this over and utilize it, either you know with the Distill tool, that Orient tool, or the Heat Mapping. I think it's a great plugin to bring into your coordination workflow.
0: And if you're looking for some ROI and statistics to go behind it. It's worth a try, especially because on average, it saves eight and a half hours saved per week. That's valuable time back into not only your your coordination meetings, but valuable time back into your your production time and valuable time that you're not working overtime. Hi, everyone. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual.
1: I'm David Campbell.
0: And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about
1: construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer.
2: Uh. Podcast interview, so hopefully I can give you guys something worth listening to. (laughs) Uh,
0: At the very least, man, we're just going to drink beer, so drink alcohol, so. what are you guys drinking oh man he's kicking us right off into it i'm uh this is usually how we start our podcast episodes we just hey man what are you drinking uh i'm drinking a little homemade concoction it's just pretty much uh uh it's called a whiskey ginger It's you know fucking cheap ass whiskey it's uh, called rebel yell uh it's uh rye whiskey it's it's made by uh was it mgp you know the the company that does all the distilling for, um, uh, bullet. And, you know, it's all done in Indiana they yeah. slap a, a Kentucky. Yeah. They slap a Kentucky label on it. Um, but it's, it's good, man. It's, you know, it's a young rye. It's, you know, two years old, but it's, uh, it's smooth and it pairs really nicely with a little bit of lime and, and ginger ale. And yeah, man, uh, not too shabby.
2: One of How our superintendents out here is a big rebel yell fan. So I have, I have partaken before.
0: Nice, nice man. Well, I suppose in uh construction, uh whiskey pairs really nicely and and, and not top dollar whiskey either, man. <laughs> I remember <laughs> surveying uh um you know, it was all about the you know, cheapest whiskey we could get out there. We take a few shots uh around, around lunchtime and just get after it. Those
2: are the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. I um I'm drinking a local beer. This is, I just cracked it. This is the first beer I've had in 29 days. Oh. Um, Because my lady and I, we were doing dry January to give ourselves a little kick off the year, reset, start. Um, So, it tastes good. I've missed it. And this is a Portland local level beer Let's Play Pilsner.
1: So oh, nice. Seems, heck, seems fitting. Heck yeah, dude. That's awesome. And congratulations. Nice, uh. Doing that j- dry January, huh? That's awesome.
2: Yep. Well, I've never made it past 14 days before because it just gets so boring Or I've tried to drink, like, bitters and soda or something. And I just, <laughs> just, I just, so I did go down the, down the rabbit hole of non-alcoholic beers. And, you know, surprisingly nowadays, there are actually some pretty good non-alcoholic beers. So that made it a little bit easier to at least trick my mind into that I was drinking, especially if I'm up at the mountain with my friends. And they're all getting beers, and I can just kind of put it in a koozie and pretend, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yep,
0: yep, yep. It's all about the muscle memory there at that point, like just socializing and like, hey, they're taking a drink, I'm taking a drink, you know, yes, if you're not, exactly. not missing a beat.
2: Exactly, and then they have a DD.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. Dave and I try to do this, uh, do you know David Cordicus by any chance? I I don't think I do now. He's uh he does like BIM coordination. He's up in um Spokane, Washington area, but he does a lot, you know, projects all throughout the the West Coast. Anyways, he got us hooked on this thing called um what was it like 14 hard or something. What was it called, Dave? 72 hard. Yeah, man, 72 hard. It's like work out twice a day and and then uh, give up alcohol. I think Dave and I made it. We were just talking about this earlier before you get on. We made it like three days each. And we were like, uh, we can't give up alcohol. We have kids. Like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. I think it's 75,
2: the 75 days. 75, 75
0: hard. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Two yeah.
2: workouts a day, zero drinking.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a tough one, man. What's D- uh... <laughs> that? Dave, you usually got something good to drink, man. What do you got?
1: Ah, dude, so I'm celebrating my birthday um, this awesome. this here podcast, so I decided to pour a little bit of the Don Julio 1942. Uh, now I'm only pouring that, one of those.
0: Ex- that's an expensive <laughs> pour, though, isn't it? Yeah,
1: dude, that is a very expensive pour. I'm like, fuck it, it's my birthday, and I'm going to have a nice little pour of this, and then I'm going to switch over to the Terramana, which is significantly cheaper, but yeah. also pretty good to drink. Well, you got to hold on to that
2: 1942 uh nowadays we like to keep some of that around as well we're both big fans big tequila drinkers Kristen and myself and uh that's hard to find last time for us to get it we had to go all the way up to a random liquor store in vancouver to even find it and i'm down in i'm down in We south of portland so it was a it was a mission to uh to find that 42 so cherish oh, it
1: <laughs> oh dude yeah oh yeah believe me i know I, My, my brother like bought me this bottle when i got into this house and, you know, after that, I've been kind of searching for one, kind of looking around because I started getting down to halfway. And I'm like, man, I really want to have another bottle to put back up there. It is almost impossible to find these bottles, man. It's just nuts. It, yep. It's crazy. I, I wanted to try the uh, the Don Julio. the It's like the Real. The Real.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: oh, I can't find it. Can't find it anywhere. That or the Casa, uh, Casa Azul. Can't yep. find that either. I was just
2: going to say that. Yeah, it's hard to find that bell.
1: Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I'd love me some good tequila. Love me some good tequila. Uh,
2: one of our superintendents, our, our GC side senior soups, was just down in Mexico. He brought me back a couple bottles of, of 400 rabbits or 400 canohas, I guess, in Spanish. Oh. That's uh, cow. Yeah, like an oak, oak aged.
0: Oak oh, cat. yeah,
2: dude. All so uh likely get into some of that later since i've already broken the seal and it's saturday and it's your birthday so that gives me a reason to party so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you
0: if, go. if you're gonna if you're gonna break your january your dry january for anything uh i say for dave's you know birthday is a pretty good reason yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. and hey you know 29 and a half days is pretty good
0: mm-hmm. dude you've already more than doubled your previous record you're solid
2: yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
2: I'm good, and I've been building <laughs> furniture all day. So.
0: Heck
2: yeah. I deserve
0: it. Yeah, yeah. You uh, is, are we talking IKEA furniture, or are you making stuff by hand?
2: Yeah, so I uh, I had a buddy who did interior finish work a handful of years ago, and this was going to be a high-end like baby and children's clothing boutique, and they were building one simultaneously in Bridgeport here, in South Portland, and one in Denver. And they had purchased a barn in Colorado and had all the wood uh, refinished, wood planks. I mean, beautiful, beautiful wood. They messed up the order and sent the Denver store load to uh, Portland. And Portland won to stay in Denver. And the store in Portland was about a quarter the size of one in Denver. So they used what they needed. And then they were going to toss up the wood. And my buddy called me one day and was like, hey, I can drop off. You know, it's like $10,000 worth of reclaimed wood. I can drop it off for you. Right now, we got to say, yes, I took it. So I've just been randomly putting stuff together. I did a bunch of molding in our living room, built a table. And so we just did uh, like a behind-the-wall cord management system for a hung TV so you don't see any cords. And so I built a hanging media cabinet that will then attach to the studs, build the TV, and everything feeds in. It has faux walls in front of it so you don't see any equipment, no cords, and you have this nice kind of reclaimed little piece sitting in the TV. So.
1: Heck, yeah, dude, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. My first time trying it, but I I just finished putting it together. I've got some uh, aluminum edging we're going to do. The table I built has a gold frame. We're going to paint some aluminum with just some gold spray paint that's going to kind of mask the seams on the corners, and that's it. But, yeah, for my my first hanging furniture piece, I would say it came together pretty well. I'm not a furniture builder,
1: so, you know. It's always nice when it actually (laughs) comes together, you know. (laughs) I've had those projects where I dream it up, and then I start building shit. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I obviously did not measure this right. But. These are <laughs> 16, 16 foot by 10 inch by one inch thick old
2: flooring planks. They've got, you know, nail holes, some burn on them and stuff like that. And then they've been planed and finished and they're absolutely beautiful. So if I F one of them up, i feel really stupid. So, I, you know, I did the old measure four times, cut once, countersink yeah. everything and, you know, no cracks. And all came all came together well, so...
0: Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. Man, That's awesome, man. We're so Dave and I have been th- throwing out this other podcast idea that we're hoping to get going pretty soon. Um, uh, where we, where we talk about a lot of projects like this, um, it's, you know, this is right up our alley. Uh, I've got a you know planer. I, you know, during early in the pandemic where wood, there was no wood at the, uh, big box stores. I was just taking any kind of wood that I could find and just running it through the planer and, yep. uh, trying to get stuff done, man. But yeah, man. When a project comes together, and you're using old, co- really cool, like, um, uh, you know, talk worthy, you know, wood, like wood that came from this old barn, and you've got this great story behind it, and of, of how you ended up with it, like, it just makes a piece so much cooler. It adds to it, man. It adds, and adds quite a bit to it. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to dive, dive down that rabbit hole and and a little bit. Dave and I've got some some uh. Home remodeling and furniture horror stories. So, oh yeah, I've <laughs> got think,
1: so many of those <laughs> damn stories.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, for sure. Yeah, yep. I've got one. I think one last trip to Home Depot for some distant hanging options. I I forgot
0: to get, and then I I think I'm done. So that can be tomorrow's agenda. But oh, the the big uh, box store uh store runs are never done, man. Never done. Never done. No, no. It's like working a, on your car and yeah. you got to go to O'Reilly's, you know, 27 times. Yeah. Dude,
1: I ended up getting a damn pro account at home Depot just so I could track how much I was spending and like home improvement shit. Just because I, I was like, man, I have no idea. And I, I, I just ended up creating like Campbell contractor or something like that, you know, just so I could register it. But I dude, the, the year I sold that house in Oregon this past, actually last year. Um, I spent, God, I think like twenty six to thirty thousand dollars, and it didn't feel like it, you know, but I was just going through doing these different projects and I would set up a budget and kind of figure out where I needed to be. And then, of course, things change. They run out of shit. I gotta go to the store for different stuff, change my material up, and it was all kinds of interesting. But yeah. that pro account, man, that pro account helped me so much because I did that. I put that shit on my taxes. I'm like, this is going to get itemized. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, don't,
0: I, don't, I don't know if we should be recording you saying that there, bud. Uh, but no, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what editing is for? Yeah, right. There we yeah. go. Not editing this, man. This is for the IRS. No, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I did the same thing, man. I've got a, a pro account with Home Depot and uh you know they 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 uh give you perks and stuff at each tier uh yeah. so so far this year i'm at i don't know like $10,000 but just cuz we just uh paid for new flooring and all that stuff um but yeah and they give you like $50 for spending $10,000 like oh thanks for $50 <laughs> like yeah, what is this right. going to do <laughs> this <laughs> going to pay for the extra $75 this doesn't even pay for the extra $75 delivery you know fee that you tacked on at the end for no reason. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, yeah it is what it is.
1: It's like Ari all right idea. just a scam. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah. Yes sir it is, yes sir.
1: Dude. But it's crazy. Like the, the thing that I realized is anytime I tried to go to local hardware stores, because that's who I really, really want to support are the local businesses. But when I go to try to buy lumber and shit from them, it's so damn expensive. It mm-hmm. makes it worth the drive to go to Home Depot. Like, I, you know what I mean? I'm like, I got to go to home. I can't spend this much more, man.
0: Yeah. The The, okay. the issue you're going to run into that, though, is the wood from Home Depot is shit. Oh, it's shit. all
1: warped and shit. It, it, yeah, yeah.
0: It is it, shit. It, like, it, even, it. Their, even their even finished project boards and stuff. So, like, yeah. I, built, I built some farmhouse tables in the past. And I've got one in my, my dining room right now. And it's like cracking and separating and it's not even two years old and it's just because you know even if you use a hard wood uh there would i don't know it's something about it it just turns to shit pretty quickly whereas if i went to like 84 lumber or one of the you know the the lumber joints lumber around lumber, here yeah yeah i probably you know i'd probably get a nicer stock out of them but yeah it is what it is oh it is. well yeah. our, our uh our fans didn't uh tune in to hear us ramble and rants about uh home stuff uh, today uh, we're chatting with uh, will Dam uh, for those of you guys who know will Dam he's out of the Pacific Northwest you're uh, well you were a surveyor and uh, you, you've kind of been all over the place uh, now I hear you're uh, in, in charge of coordination right yeah background was in surveying started did my internship and had my first stint
2: down in the uh, Lake Tahoe and Chucky area california uh in 19 way back in good old 1997. uh got up to oregon in about mid 2009 i think it was and went to work with the survey division ming surveyors over at hoffman construction here based out of portland Uh, and then did about an eight-year stint with them and had an opportunity to come over to anderson construction and kind of rebuild their they were doing layout with, you know, carpenters running total stations, but still hiring surveyors to come in and set grid control and things like that. So I had a good opportunity to go over there and bring some guys with me and kind of ground up not only their survey program but their uh, detailing and modeling division for all of our. We were self-performed contractor as well as CMGC, so did that for a bit, which naturally gave me a background in a lot of those programs that are, you know ever used in bim and so anderson was we were doing a lot of subbing out BIM, and we decided to change that direction and manage that stuff in-house to take better control of the projects and so uh left the uh survey division to somebody i had trained up for years so it's in good hands and yeah took over the the bim and vdc portion for our uh i'm out of the main office in portland but you know dabble in the oregon region here uh, um we have Oregon boise or Sorry, Portland, Eugene, Boise, and uh, Seattle offices. So, I'm kind of heading up the, the Oregon portion of that. And, yeah, coordinating, writing bin plans, getting software <laughs> stuff, training, you know, all that fun stuff.
0: Heck, well, yeah, dude. well, a lot of people think about coordinating as in terms of, uh, you know, do, do we have clashes and stuff. But at its core, it is spatially, you know, things have to be aligned. There's a survey element to it. So, having your background and survey probably – lends to you know lend your expertise pretty well to it yeah you
2: know it does we like to since we do a lot of self perform work and we try to do design assist design build whenever possible um you know because there's you know great value in that uh we love to have early conversations with designers and you know get jobs uh whether it's locally referenced or referenced to state plane whatever the decision is but to get that set to some survey coordinates Uh, right from the get-go you know it helps everybody spatially on site because everybody's going to be using total stations nowadays right we don't have to go where one guy's using a zero zero one guy's using a 500 100 and so on and so forth and people are having to you know get different control networks going it just proves to be more work for everybody and cause errors so you know we transfer that over into our, our our modeling space and we also do a lot of um, scan to BIM work, and so we want all of that to be coordinated as well. Because obviously, the more people who can get into scanned data and use it to their benefit, especially in renovations, the better. And if there's no conversion or translation to it, uh, you know, download it off our site and you know, go nuts, knock yourself out. So yeah, yeah a lot of yeah. a lot of tied together there, absolutely.
1: Yeah, well, you need that too. That's the big thing. Is Uh, um, When when you bring point clouds in especially or or links that when you're moving it, you're introducing, especially with point clouds, you know, with links, fortunately with CAD or Revit links, we can snap, right? You you can essentially grab points or, you know, building corners, things like that. But the point cloud, it's not so precise just because you're literally trying to snap to a bunch of little points inside of there and you're introducing human error to that equation. Yep. right which at the end of the day can lead you, i mean it can lead to failure in all reality if your point cloud that you're trying to draft off of um if you're really you know getting into scan to bim if it's not coordinated correctly like spatially oh gosh i can that can lead you into a whole bunch of different errors or issues down the road
0: these are things we geek about often man uh um, yeah yeah so so you're you're speaking to our heart man just a little bit there um The 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 big thing with coordination though is is getting everybody beyond the mindset of oh we're just you know we're just doing clashes Uh, because at the end of the day a lot of things have to align for our clashes to be usable but you know beyond that coordination is is a bigger realm so what are some of the other things that you guys are are seeing as as particularly important uh, in coordination is it I mean obviously uh, you know it's clashes is a big part of it but you know what are some of the things that you're, you're seeing in the industry and maybe what are some of the things that are changing?
2: I think, well, I think one thing that we do well by self-performing this, managing the process is that, most of the people involved in this are builders, right? They're part of the construction process as opposed to being somebody who just runs software and coordinates. And like you said, runs clashes, right? Cause there's a lot more to it than that. You can move You can move and relieve clashes all day long but if you're not looking at the downstream implications for architectural elements or structural details or any number of other things that come in that yeah maybe i'm just moving a drain pipe two inches north to clear a clash but what are the downstream issues that that could cause you know so i think taking that extra time and extra look to you know we get a we, you get you get your outline and your 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 proposed routing let's call it from your engineer of record right and then we've got to get all these systems together route them some might be designed built like fire suppression usually is and then we're coming in with you know uh, a, 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 a systems analysis for like mechanical and then we've got to come in and run the duct in between it well you know there's just more that comes into it, so I think taking a, again, just taking that look at, with a builder's mind to taking the whole project, uh, thinking of the whole project scope, not just the the, the digital essence of it, is um, is good value. And then also one one thing I love is we recently moved into uh, the ACC Cloud exclusively on a few of our capital projects uh, for the Model Coordination Hub, and the fact that we can now every project stakeholder every part of the team can actively see what's going on i think is i think it's huge we have a massive high school renovation project that's going to be upwards of near 300 million dollars when it's all said and done i did a training with the entire project team you know from senior superintendent down to the interns who are now full-time employees for us so that everybody knows how to get in everybody knows how to go in View what a clash is. Use them to mark up RFI's if required, or just go in and say, uh, "There's a whole bunch of bullshit slowing us down. Let's get, you know, uh, air handlers or or chilled beams are touching um, acoustical ceilings." And I have 10,000 clashes in the job. Go in there and clear them so the people who are actually doing stuff can get in there. So make it more of a team effort than you know having having to rely on one person. I think I think is great. And then of course the person who is really in charge of it you know, vetting everything back to, back to the contract documents to make sure it's a fluid mm-hmm. packet and it can go where it's supposed to go.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think there's another kind of aspect to that, that, you know, I, I've been talking actually about this this week and a lot of people don't really think about, but when you get into a common data environment such as like the ACC or something like that, where you're bringing all of the project stakeholders in, you're enabling them with a tool such as model coordination, um, What you begin to see is that you can essentially start to push back, you know. So what I see typically in our industry is that one contractor, you know, the GC or somebody is running coordination for the project. Right. And they're essentially kind of trying to manage all that data. They're kind of assigning clashes out as they need to here and there. Um, But they're bringing everybody into coordination meetings. You know, it's usually like you said, it's siloed. Um, but bringing everybody together into that common data environment not only does it enhance communication, but in my mind it also starts pushing back the the litigation of it in the sense of you're kind of pushing back some of that responsibility into the other you know contractors or subcontractors, designers, what have you, with the bi-directional communication that you have from a common data environment. In the sense of you know hey if I recognize these clashes. They're in this model. I can tag all of them, send them back to that design application. And that company, I can tag them, you know, in those issues, that kind of thing. I can put it back in their their court. And essentially, before the next coordination meeting comes up, we should already have most, if not all of those clashes already resolved. That shouldn't be, you know, as and, and the beautiful thing, again, kind of tying back to, you know, if we're going to talk about the ACC here is as that design model, as the IFCs, you know, what have you, as as that data changes, as it updates, you're actually that model coordination, the one big piece I love about this is that it's constantly updating and, and tracking those changes. So it, it's not, you know, what we see in Navisworks a lot of times is, you know, like I said, you kind of get that siloed workflow, right? Where people would send the data, you'd go ahead and clash it, you'd start creating those clash reports from the filters, sending that data out. And we're hoping that some to all of them actually get done. I mean, it would be nice if every single one was taken care of by the next coordination meeting, but a lot of times new issues have come up that we haven't even been able to address yet. And we're always essentially trying to play catch up, I feel like, Mm -hmm. when in all reality, the new softwares, the new workflows that we have give us the capability to be proactive with these clashes, you know, if you're if you're properly linking, if you're actively bringing these changes in, if you're watching and, and you know, even just creating coordination spaces for the different teams or even if one group is managing it, that's still fine in the sense of the coordination in the in that common data environment, because all project stakeholders are there. They can be tagged well, well, with that responsibility. Oh, well, go somebody's
0: got to own it. I was going to say somebody's got to own it. Um, at the end of the day, there there has to be somebody responsible contractually as well. But to your point, man, there are so many softwares out there now um, that are automating clash detection that are that are making it such a smaller part of the overall thing. And then you talk about the cloud environment, adding another little piece to this where we're um you're 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 enabling other people to own their piece of it. Hey, this wall moved, therefore all of the pipe that was in wall is no longer in wall. wall we don't need to have a meeting about that. No, you should know that. Hey, look, you know, you know, the the pipe is is now hitting other things. Go back and adjust your model, you know, and and re-upload. it. And that way we've, we've taken that extra BS out of our coordination meeting. And, uh, you know, we can focus on the bigger issues that, that, you know, involve multiple, multiple trades and, you know, are more impactful. I think when you, you
2: know, the more we get into this, these cloud-based programs too that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the coming years that those regularly scheduled BIM meetings can, you know, essentially become a thing of the past because one, there's a whole new world that we all work in, right? There's so much more remote. It's not like everybody's meeting uh, in a room to go over clashes singularly now. You can go in and set yourself as a primary, review all your own clashes, You can link it directly into your design software and see what you need to fix, right? And then republish your model. And it's more that you're just, you know, you don't have to distribute uh, like your screen grabs, right, Of, of the Clash anymore. It's here it is, here's your item ID, here's your grid location, you know what you need to do. You're contractually obligated to provide a model of a certain level of development and a certain, you know, you're building it for fabrication if you choose not to do that and you uh run into a hiccup in the field well that's you know that's kind of on the person who chose not to address their clashes right because they're mm-hmm. still i mean we don't have we don't have the life of a project to look through coordination right we've got to hit schedule date we've got to hit fabrication date we've got to hit some dates and shop dates and all of that stuff that all plays into that level of fabrication too so you know or sorry of of, of, of coordination um so you know the more advantageous you are to get in there, review your review your review your clashes and solve them, the better. And the, the person who's the GC who's managing it, I don't think should have to say, Hey, you know you have clashes to solve, why aren't they done? You know they're there, you can do them twenty four hours a day, seven days a week through the cloud. Um, you know, keep the process moving. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think I, I definitely agree. It's it's going to change our industry and the way that we work, um, and and I guess also the excuses that are made a lot of times too. And this also goes back to some of the the things we talked about in previous episodes, Joe. But you know, model it versus you know, fake it, fake it till you make it, right?
0: Um, in oh, the sense of worst, coordination, yeah, biggest fear, biggest fear, especially exactly. when we're talking about survey and layout. And you've got uh, some guys that fudge some dimensions into your Revit model. <laughs> it makes uh, for an interesting interesting thing. Oh, model it, man. Damn it, model it. Sorry, go ahead. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, it's on
1: that point, dude. You got to, I mean, and this is another thing that I, I think kind of reaching back to one of Will's earlier points, um, having that actual construction knowledge when you're preparing for something like coordination or when you're getting into the, the project itself, that's huge right? Knowing how something is going to be built, looking at valves, looking at clearances, I mean, just downstream, upstream, knowing that things got a slope, knowing that, hey, they're going to put a plate out on this beam. It's going to come out this far. I can't put a pipe through there. Obviously, I'm going to have to move my pipe. You know, there's so many different decisions that can be made, better decisions, I feel like, and, and better concentrations than, you know, obviously, I don't know how many times we've we've seen this, but you get out to the job site and they go to install it. This won't this won't fit. And then they, you know, they have to make a change order and things are updated there. But then at the same time, you got to update the drawings. you got to update the design. you got to make sure that it's wow. updated based on what they did.
0: A lot of times well. we just do fit and field and try to make it work and fudge it. And, you know, that cost isn't documented. And so now, I think now we've gotten to a point now where there's so many field apps out there where everybody's trying to track costs where you can't really do that sort of stuff anymore. It's all, everything's got to be tracked. Um, Mm -hmm. But that end, man, uh, Will, how soon, you know, how, uh, being that, you know, Anderson's a pretty, pretty, pretty big GC. uh, I imagine you guys are leading coordination more than most. Um, How soon are you guys, is your team getting involved with coordination? Uh, You know, I've seen, I've seen some stuff where people get in too late and it's it's always a hassle. Obviously, project by project's a, a different, but what's your guys' approach? We definitely try
2: to integrate and have the plan early on and have kind of an evolution of a plan that starts with a conversation with us and design teams to at least have our starting, uh, our starting proposed schedule date and execution plan somewhat in order. And as trade partners start coming on, uh, I think it's imperative to have that be, you know, I would say we average three to four uh, versions of our execution plan execution plans that are then agreed upon by trade partners and design and then incorporate as addendums to the contract and execution plan from the, usually the architect, right? Uh, it gets good insight from specifically your mechanical contractors, right? They have massive scopes. They have, they could have long lead times for fabrication what's um, the level of development too uh, from the design team at say you know we've I've done somewhere they said oh it's 100% DD let's get early coordination because uh, this was back in like heavy COVID you know tough to get material times let's we'll start at 100% DD we'll coordinate this whole thing and we were you know eight weeks in two-story building we're damn near coordinated right well they came back oh just kidding we're going to take a foot off the roof and a foot off the 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 slab at level two so coordination (laughs) coordination out the window right start over so at that point we said okay we're taking a break when you're at a 50 percent cd release plus or minus you know they don't like to put those numbers on that when we're at that when we're a few months out from a permit set we'll start coordination now and of course that has to be project specific but um starting in dd has never worked well in my experience getting into some cd documents where at least you know structurally you're mostly set Right. there's not going to be major, there's not going to be major changes that will call, cause major system overhauls because that's just, you know, that's throwing the sugar in your tank. Um, yeah, yeah, as long yeah, as the, I, the I steel, steel
0: isn't
2: moving. Is 50. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I can say around average, we're around that 50% CD, and if it's if it's a renovation project, so that high school one I mentioned earlier, we started out there doing a the scan to BIM. Um, I want to say it was March or April of 2019 and we just completed the last scans there on Wednesday <laughs> this this week and we're heavy in construction now but we did multi, multiple different phases of scanning to find structural elements then as demo started going for buildings to remain we're re-scanning again to find the hidden structural elements and so there's an evolution in that so a project like that our BIM started you know ages ago and it has to be consistently updated of course but um, so renovation that's cool really early new projects around 50 cd i think yeah that's
0: a that's a good that's a, a, that's good, good, that's good, a good, good level yeah. playing
2: field anyway there to start you know you know you've got time you're going to get comments and you know city review or county review and things like that that even gives you probably an extra even if you're coordinated they came back with comments there's a six you, you know you have six to ten week gap in there for those to come back so you know, you get some time to some extra time that may not be scheduled for you to figure some stuff out. If you think you started a little bit late at that 50 percent CD to this you know, little extra bonus grace period, usually for that.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And that's 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 a solid mix, man. I, I like hearing that Um coming in that early is is great. You're not too early. You're not too late. You know, obviously changes happen, but the 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 bulk of it is set. Uh But like you were saying with the structural, obviously, the biggest part of it, it's right? Footprint. Is, yeah. Yeah, if your footprint, your 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 height, or uh, any of those st- that steel changes, um, everything changes pretty much. Um, but but yeah, I mean that's 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 impressive to hear. Um, you mentioned scan to bin again, and my ears perked up. They just keep perking up every time anybody mentions that 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 catchphrase. Um, just real quick, what does your scan to bin process work? You know, look like you guys go out, you scan it. And then does that team come in and model everything? You're picking certain things to model or are you using software to go ahead and convert all that to 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 mod, to uh, Revit families? Is it just an overlay in Navisworks? Like what is your your scan to bin process?
2: So mostly for us as the as a as the GC, right? If we're going for existing structure, we're scanning and we're confirming structural elements. And So I found the simplest way, which is um called the Navisworks cheat code because you can run, you can run a clash to a point cloud by element right but it will give you a million clashes on one face of a column say uh I go in and I just cut elevation planes in Navis because it will redline the design model behind and then you get a perfect uh as long as you your lock your x and your y and I'll just go in and confirm elements back to as built drawings from prior construction and you know work with the design team to get those to get those set. When it comes to if we're doing a mechanical update and we're going for mechanical, uh, you know, piping scans, we do to date rely on our mechanical contractors to go in and map that because they are, you know, obviously more used to working in those systems. Uh, That's what Uh, they do. Exactly. We do want to get into that scan to BIM, you know, some of those new programs that are out that will do some, you know, some AI modeling for you haven't quite found the right project. You know, I don't I don't want to learn something, teach something, and not be able to deploy it, right? Use it or lose it kind of thing.
0: Um oh
2: yeah. And we also you don't want to buy it and let it show Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh I'm a big fan of what you can do with uh breaking point clouds down too. So if you have some existing wood joists or something like that in the ceiling, you need to coordinate around. You can go in, scan the building, cut that scan into a 12-inch deep joist, cut it to a 12-inch deep scan, turn it into a Civil 3D model, link that Civil 3D model into Revit. It doesn't slow down the uh, doesn't slow down the engine in Revit for it to keep regenerating the point cloud like a full point cloud can, right? And you can model your piping through you know basically through the point cloud to so know you're not going to have clashes in the field without actually having to physically. Run a clash against a point cloud, so we found that. Dude, that's a
1: great workaround. That is a great workaround. I did not even think about that. That's one of my pain points. I was actually just having a conversation about that the other day with you know getting point clouds into the cloud because visualization in our design applications like Revit. As I try to you know if, if I'm trying to do scan to BIM or like verification of my design data to the as-built conditions, it's insane how hard it is to get Revit to render. You know, you're trying to orbit correctly. You're trying to cut through it. Um, it's constantly trying to change, and that's. I mean, that, yeah. Thank you for that tidbit there, man. I never thought to take it through Civil and then bring it in. So that's yeah, a that's a good point.
2: The great workflow to really cut that down is: so you have a two two gigabyte scan, uh, unify it all, and then cut that plane, delete your points, and then mm-hmm. link link the link the point cloud file into civil 3D and then save it as a dwg and you turn 2 gigabytes into like 200 megs and this really, is what yeah.
0: this is problem. what happens when you get a surveyor uh involved with with this sort of stuff he goes back to the tool he's used you know and, and it solves the problem that works out great man that's awesome
2: well i mean if, if you're an autodesk user and subscriber there's a reason they call it the aec bundle and these programs all come together right there is a yeah you know interoperability oh, yeah, yeah. cross program functionality that you know maybe it uh maybe it takes some you know takes some workarounds or maybe autodesk didn't even realize that workflow exists but if you use them all <laughs> um if you use them all enough uh it works it works great. And another one on that too I'll throw out um if you haven't heard this one is you know you can unify your scans and recap, right? Yeah, yeah. one scan and you you minimize the data greatly, but you lose your real views, right? You yep. lose your scan views. So I've been going in and I'll unify a project and then I'll link the unified project to the same project. Then I'll go into my layer states, my scan view locations. I'll turn off the unified scan and delete the whole entire project. But oh. it doesn't delete the real views. Then you can link the real view again, turn it back on and save it. And now you have a unified project, but all your real views still exist and now you've turned Two gigs again into like 500 megabytes. One single scan, you still have your real views. Wow, that's
0: a, wow, that's, that's, a that's a great workflow, sneaky. dude. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Sneaky. I, I, so I've oh, I stayed away from you. Civil 3D for scan data ever since they ma- they moved us from the .las environment. You know mm-hmm. where you would be able to bring it straight into to Civil 3D. Now you've got to go through Recap first. Mm-hmm. I like stayed away from civil 3d for the longest time after that for, for doing scans, but it sounds like this is, this is a workflow, Dave, you and I got to put to the test, man. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Cause the only other workaround I've ever found is, is creating like an XYZ or E87 or something like that and bring it into Navis. Yeah. Um, But you can't do that into Revit. So yeah, that's a, that's
0: a great workaround. It, yeah. And then the other thing is civil 3d at 10 million points. Like uh, I think it's the maximum that you can do at one, one given time, but it, at, well, if you're doing what he's saying, you're you're you that, yeah. Concentrating yeah. on an area. Oh my god! Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, yeah it's, this is a beautiful workflow. Yep, and
2: you can use your filters to get rid of dark scan data and things like that too, that alleviate a lot of alleviate a lot of those nonsense points. Um, we even had we were doing a new pier uh, for the Oregon Coast Aquarium down in Newport. Yeah, so That's awesome that, place. Saltwater and filter saltwater, and it's out on this big causeway jetty thing. And they wanted a topo of it. I said, well, okay, we'll give you a topo of it high high tide, low tide, but I'm going to scan the whole damn thing. So we went out, scanned all through the pump, all through the pump station, high tide and low tide, all around this rock causeway. And then we just trimmed it out to where it needed to be, got rid of the dark point, and we ran all the surfaces on it through the point cloud in Civil 3D. And it took it, awesome. a handful of hours, but you had every single surface for every different tide location and then brought that in as a background to Revit. Now you have your surface in Revit and they could design the new peer locations and stuff around it. So certainly some useful workflows for the recap, civil 3D to back to to back to Revit flow for
1: um, heck yeah, man. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You know, a lot of times too, I I find that it all really starts. Even, even with scanning, it all really has to start with the survey data or, or those control, right? Your control that you set up on. Um, I mean, you know, Joey said it earlier. I love your background here, Will, just because the transition and, and into coordination just makes so much sense. Um, you know, I've been in so many different projects where they try to bring in point clouds, they try to bring in DWGs, and they're just manually aligning things and expecting it to work. And then coordination comes to play and it does not it doesn't you know they end up getting some very interesting emails shortly afterwards um but it's just it's nuts man when you really think about it um again it kind of all starts off of that one point even again when you're scanning and and when you're when you're getting that level of detail and you're bringing everything together to create multiple surfaces that's awesome but it has to align i mean it has to all come together otherwise you're trying to stitch that and i can't imagine trying to stitch that data
2: yeah we will still you know we'll get some uh owners owners reps who they'll prior to us coming on or prior to them maybe knowing that we you know perform scan in-house and they'll bring us scan data from a third party they'll say here you go and it's okay well what was your what's your project origin and, you know, the answer is, well, I don't know. I just went up and started in the middle of the floor and scanned the building. There you go. It's at a zero, zero, zero to zero elevation, you know, figure yeah. it out. And so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go out with our survey crews, right? We got survey in the house. We'll go out with our survey crews and we'll spend more time than it would have taken for us to just scan it and set targets to go out there and just be running Running background checks, right? What's the column distance? What's what's the elevation change from this level to this this level? And having to confirm their data because they didn't start off anything coordinated. They don't have a location to any design plan, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of blind faith if you were to not go out and perform those checks. I mean, we we'll, we do it on our yeah. own scale, right?
0: Well, you guys have a vested interest at this point, right? I mean, yeah. if you guys are building something, it's it's got to be Nats ass. It's got to be right. By the way, yeah. Dave, if you, I don't know if you've heard Nat's ass, man. That's a surveyor oh, yeah. term. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh,
0: oh, it, you sco- know. Uh, a scotch sco- 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 left. A <laughs> sco- Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's, it, you guys have a vested interest, whereas, you know, I've gotten a lot of scan data from third-party consultants in the past. And it's, you know, it's it's garbage. It's unusable. Um, I, My favorite is when they give us a model that they created from the scans, and then you realize – that, one, their scanning was off, and then the, their yeah. whole model is just unusable. It's like, you know, we're not paying for this. No, nobody wants this.
2: And they don't send along a, uh, you know, a survey control record report, right, that shows you the accuracy of their targets because they didn't do it. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, and you don't know what you're looking at. Yep.
1: Yep. You guys are going to get me on another dang tangent here, but that, I think that brings up a whole nother point. I I just worked with a project, you know, and we were were talking about this is know your equipment, know the limits of your equipment, know how high you're going to shoot. Like if you're going out to shoot a three-story building and you're shooting from down on the floor, you know, ground level, look at how high that is and look at everything that's going on in your project. If they have, I can't, the cloth that kind of comes down over like the handrails and stuff, you know, if they have different things that are going to offset your scan data, it is best to notate that you know if you can make adjustments while you're there in the field, do it. But I can't tell you how many times I've I've seen you know this is something to think about when you're getting into scanning is defama- defamation and um, deflection, right?
0: Deflection is is it defamation or deformation? I've been Googling uh-huh. this recently, so I just I gotta bring it up because defamation. Dude, that's a good question because I well, thought it was defamation.
1: I might be misquoting yeah, it this whole de- damn de- time.
0: I, I was looking it up in a, in a different sense. We had a bridge collapse here in Pittsburgh recently, and, and somebody said to me, You know, we I've always chatted about defamation of, you know, monitoring and stuff, and somebody corrected me, like, it's not defamation, it's deformation. And that's just about the movement. So I was just wondering for scanning, is it defamation or is it
1: deformation? It def- it's deformation. You are def- right. It is deformation. Yeah. Yeah,
2: you're defamating your own character by saying defamation.
0: <laughs> right? That's it. That's it. Defamation is is like libel. It's you you're, you're slandering yourself essentially. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um yeah, deformation and that's that's the big thing. Um but but to that point though, you and I have we've done a, a, a several episodes over scanning and one of the more recent ones came up was um about the people that are going out and scanning so depending on the industry you're in and i'm going to shit just on the architecture industry for a second the guys that go out in the field for architectural are usually low man on on the on the uh on the flagpole they're the guys that are interning they're or they're they're you know they're they're the newest guys in there they're coming in they're scanning they got a crash course for three days in the office and they're you know they're doing that or they're walking around with their little, you know, little mobile scanner. They don't know how to stitch anything together. They don't know if they captured everything. Uh, they don't even know the the lighting that's necessary. It's it's there, there's a lot that goes into it that we don't think about. And, and it does require a skilled mindset. You know, we can say uh, all day long, oh, you just press a button. Button on a scanner, it takes you, you know, you know, five minutes, run the scan and bing, bang, boom, go do your next setup, You're good. And we'll stitch it in the office. No problem. But, you know, if that person that's been running that, that, that presses that button for the five minute, you know, does the five minute scan, picks it up, moves it, doesn't have, you know, a solid background or understanding of the fundamentals of, of, uh, of, you know, how scan works and capturing scan data. It doesn't matter if you spend five minutes or you spent five hours, it's useless. Um, we, we really have to start focusing on the, the, the knowledge that goes into it on the forefront and get somebody out there. That's pretty knowledgeable. I mean, back in the day, you know, they handed me a total station and I didn't know crap about crap and Hey, yeah, just, you know, capture these points and, and, you know, record some shots and that's it, you know, make sure you're level and, and you're good to go pound a hub here, you know, do whatever. And, uh, at the end of the day, same thing. If you still don't know why you're doing what you're doing, there's so much room for error um you know i can't tell you how many times we've run into issues with um improper setup and resections and all that stuff because the angles were out and th- there's a lot that goes into it same thing for scanning there's it's not idiot proof it's close but it's not idiot proof
2: yeah and with the new equipment you know unless you're using a blk or something like that to scan a bedroom um you know anything top con like a ferro there are so many different you know, quality settings that it you need to understand your equipment. What's your distance range? What's your vertical range? Do you adjust your vertical range for adjust your vertical range in, in the scanner and your distance away from the structure to get something on the third floor? Like David was saying, understand how that works. Understand your overlap needed when you go to elevation. I mean, or like you said, Joe, the guy going on the field is going to get a bunch of shit data and no it can use it. And that's, usually not the person who's going out and touching the button's fault. It's because the person who's asking for the information doesn't know what they want either or how to use it.
0: Right. A hundred percent of the time, man. I, uh, I will say this. Oh, go ahead, man. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, Dave and I are a little bit lucky. You know, we work for an equipment man- manufacturer in our day jobs and we get to play with all the latest and greatest technology. And one of the cool things is I, um, you know we got a little bit of background in it um get to play you know know what to do but there's one thing that we get to do is we have this total station scanner two in one but it's it's not like the old school ones where it's uh you know where it's a total station and it sets a uh, uh you know a window and it's just capturing like 10 points per second no it's like a real scan and or a points per second thing but what we do is we just shoot our points Uh, cause it's total station and then it automatically stitches it together. We don't have to worry about anything. It takes the error out of it for us. Um, so we get to play with all those fun tools and makes life a little bit easier. So, uh, we get to, you know, complain about the situation a lot, but at the end of it, Dave and I get, get a lot of the fun tools that, uh, make life a little bit easier. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. But you also, I mean, I also get to learn my lessons with something like the GLS, you know, the, the, the thing that you learn when you get into the GTL is you're a little bit spoiled. Um, because the total station actually, you know, obvi- if you set up on control, you learn the back site and resection, you learn the workflows of how you need to collect that data. Um, it kind of spoils you because, yeah, it does. It registers itself. But setting up on like something like, let's say, the GLS, that's what I have some experience on, or some of the other kind of um, scanners out there, a lot of times you have to tell it, you, like, in, let's say for the GLS example, um, I have to I have to actually get a CSV, my points list and put that into like an SD card, put that in so it knows where I am when I set up, when I, you know, I'm essentially going to go go to my different scan locations. If that's not coordinated correctly, you know, <laughs> your whole scan comes off, things are going to be rotated or it's it's just a lot of weirdness.
0: Or remember to set up your spheres or your targets ahead of time. Like I've been on some things where there's
1: scan locations.
0: (laughs) Yeah. People will set up their, their, their targets. uh, You know, you know, they're, they're setting up as they're scanning. It's like, well, it's not capturing this target in the next, in in the, in the past scan. If you're not setting it up till the next scan, like, come on, man. Like use some foresight. Anyways, man, we could ramble and rant about this all day long.
1: One point I want to make. Before we before we push on though is, you know, one of Will's previous points, and I think this is so hugely important, especially when we get into scanning, when you're really getting into an as-built model, um, it sounds like you guys were doing a little bit of construction progress tracking with scanning, but it's continuously going back out there to scan, not just doing a scan once and and calling it a day, you know, yeah, these are the existing conditions, it's so in, insanely you know, important to document that as they're going through doing demolition, what is behind the walls? What's in these ceilings? Let's document as much as we can, and as the construction process updates, let's go ahead and scan that too to see what changed based off of the design or to be able to hand over, I want to say you know, the buzzword here, but that digital twin. But you want to be able to hand something oh, over at the end of the day.
0: And, that's a drink know, word, man. Take a shot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I will, I'll drink that one. But I, I think at the end of the day, when you're really handing that project over, that right there has value in it, right? Being able to really give them an as built, whether it's a Revit model, it's a point cloud that's actually, you know, I talked to Joe about this, some focused data. You know what I mean? In, in terms of we have our overall scan and you go throughout that project and maybe you're not going to scan every single thing you scanned last time. But having that capability to bring that structured data in to know where it's going to go, it's going to line up to the other point clouds, right, and tell you exactly what has changed in these different locations as you're going through and tracking that different process. It's a huge benefit to any project to have that.
2: Yeah, so, and- one one last thing I'll just say on scanning too is, um, if we're looking to move on, is uh, you got to know what the what's the end game too, right? What what is what are you using the scan for, right? Because that's going to dictate how you're capturing the data, right? What level of quality you need, who who's the end user of it, how well do they work with it, you know? Is it going to be used to make a model? Or are we just checking the plumbness of a wall? You know, having those things laid out so. Because you can go overboard, you can go underwater, right? Depending yep. depending on yeah. what, the, what the end user needs your scan data. So
1: that's definitely that true. Sure. That's definitely that's true. Definitely you sure gotta you got to know what data you need, data 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 need and how you can, you can translate data. it. Later.
0: Yep. Well, that planning piece ties back to uh, BIM and uh, the coordination side pretty well. If we're talking about um, you know knowing knowing how you're going to use this data, um, same thing applies for modeling, right? You know. The owner only cares about LOD 400 on these elements. Why are we modeling everything at such a high level, so granular, so detail, um, you know, especially when there are elements we don't need for coordination or whatever. Same, same thing. I'm just trying to bring us back to the coordination side of things here, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I do have a question before, you know, as we're starting to wrap up here, uh, Will, you mentioned quite a few tools that you already use. You're talking about scanning. Uh, you guys use the uh, ABC Pro tools, uh, Revit, Navisworks, all that fun stuff. Um, what are some things that you're excited about that maybe you've seen in the past year or that maybe you are on the, you know, knower that are on the precipice of coming out that, um, you know, really excited for um, technology in this space?
2: Well, yeah. Well, there's one that I just sat down for a demo with. That, especially if you are part of a you know design-build-design-assist process, uh, it's called NearMap. You guys heard of NearMap?
0: I am very yeah. familiar with Map, Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so we are in a. There's a. They're building a new courthouse in Clackamas County here in the Portland metro area, and I think it's three or four contractors that have been selected by their build committee and it's a contest who can come up with the i guess most cost effective and best design within these parameters and so of course what comes to my head well let's give them let's load up the design with all of the existing structures and survey data accurately not just model boxes and things like that and so we sat down with near map on uh, to look at that and that was you know we we did some they showed me some areas in Portland, and I went and did field checks to it just to see. And they're within, you know, two inches in elevation, right? And, you know, damn close enough for existing structures around just to base a design off of. And they, these are things that are just readily available for really a pretty nominal fee compared to going up, pulling records of surveys, going and running a full topo or scanning it or drone flying it. Um, yeah, so I thought that was I thought that was probably one of the cooler things I've seen recently. Um, very smart to get into that market. And uh, yeah, I think that's something we'll be uh, subscribing to and using in the future just to kind of recognize, I mean, even taking it down to something as not necessarily simple, but in the end is, is the simple site logistics plan. Right. And now you can just do it without the site.
0: That market's only growing. I ran into, uh, I was at a survey conference over the weekend our last or earlier in the week rather. Um, and, uh, near came up. I was, I I'd heard of them, you know, uh, done some research on them on the past, but I, didn't, you know, I hadn't really, you know, dipped my toes in them or anything like that. And then, um, I was chatting with, uh, one of the founders of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Aeroworks. Um, they do like drone, you know, aerial mm-hmm. to, um, uh, you know, feature extraction, essentially they'll pull out trees and roads and curbs and all that stuff, you know, building footprints. Um, And I was chatting with them about, you know, what they're doing. And they told me, you know, they were like, Oh, have you heard of near map? And I was like, yeah, you know, you know, went down that rabbit hole with them. They were telling me they subscribe to near map and they use their algorithms to look at near map, uh, near maps data, because it's so accurate to actually feature extract and like teach their AI how to, uh, you know, do all this sort of stuff. So, that, and then I, after that, you know, geeked out with some of the local uh, engineering consultants about it, and you know, they showed me some of their near map stuff, and I was like, man, this—I I don't know why I've never really got into this. It's a pretty cool tool. Yeah.
2: Uh, the other, the other thing we started doing in the past handful of months is we bought uh, some, some of our own GPR scanners. So, on our renovation buildings, we're able to go in, scan existing shear walls concrete columns, etc., and actually model uh, model the existing reinforcing in there to, you know, if we're going to be, you know, thickening a shear wall and, you know, whatever we are attaching to a column with a new element or something like that, we can find where penetrations need to be made without just bullet hole, bullet holing, uh the whole thing by, you know, a quick GPR scan and then throwing that in the model and then sending it out with coordinates and elevations on it, give it to the guys in the field, here's where you drill, off we go.
0: Heck yeah, dude!
1: That's awesome. I'm, I I had some experience with GPR technology, but obviously it was quite a bit different. I was using the GPR for looking in roads for bombs, so that was a little bit different. But it's it's cool to see how the technology has evolved and how it's making its way into construction. Um, in in the sense of, I mean, it's so valuable to know what's there behind the walls or what's hidden behind, you know, drywall or what have you. What's back there? And well, if you've got collapsed systems it's and really
2: stuff, expensive.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got collapsed systems, or you've got, you know, you want to see where things are, GPR is is, is definitely the way to go. Um, I think it's it's one of those ones that we're going to see a larger commercial footprint. I know I had a, a, a GC up in the Pacific or in the um, New England area that needed somebody to come in and do some GPR for them. And there was just nobody around, no, or at least nobody that was available, and they had to pull uh, a buddy of mine out of uh, um, uh, Pennsylvania to come up there and do some stuff for them. But it's just, it's one of those technologies that, you know, it, it might not be as prevalent, but it is very useful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I
1: completely agree. But hey, Will, I want to say thank you so much, man, for coming on an episode. Um, I I know from recent conversations, I want to have you back on another episode because you know, we actually just talked, I think, what was it, a week ago or two weeks ago about translating BIM data into something for machine control. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself is a valuable podcast because, you know, a lot of times we think of um, BIM or we'll think of even, you know, when we talk about our our, our industry, we, we tend to think vertical or horizontal construction,
0: yeah. right? It's in that vertical
1: silo. <laughs> Yeah. but we have to break that. We really have to break that and realize how that BIM data can translate into something like the machine control for civil data sets. I mean, because it, it is valuable to have that.
2: Absolutely. And it's all part of, uh, you know, just to cheese it up, the building
0: information, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> and that's not, it, it all, dude. It all, it all goes into It's it. all about it's the information. A, it's, quite a, it's quite a circle of, of, you know, quite a circle of data that can be, That can be used and deployed to multiple different um, multiple different entities and multiple different trade partners and you know the data is there you know if you have a fully modeled project from civil through top out i mean the data exists why not why not harness it and use it for anything you can right because there's generally systems out there that can use it like like machine control right
0: yeah Yeah. Dave, dave had a great idea About re-coining the term BIM and SIM into, yes, SIM again, but instead of focusing on civil information (laughs) modeling, like, this is new construction information modeling. They're they're two sides of the same coin, solving the same problem with different softwares. Now, at the end of the day, if we're preaching that BIM and SIM aren't about the software, and it's rather about the process – all sides should talk. We should talk, you know, uh, site and excavation and, and, and you know, uh, site utilities and all that sort of stuff. At, at the same time that we're talking about the vertical aspects of it, um, we talk about, you know, the the footers and you know, the footings and and, and all the, the sacks, structural the steel. Stuff. Yeah. stuff that's yep. in the ground. But we talk about that in a BIM sense, even though it's below ground. I mean, it really is all, you know, the same, you know, two sides of the same coin. So, yeah. Um, Often overlooked. Exactly. Right? exactly. I mean, if
2: you're running site utilities through a project and you've got deep foundation, you've got, uh, you know, soldier pile, you know, soldier pile reinforcing around your excavation and you run soil nails or tie backs through that. Are you coordinating those to your sewer and storm and things that are at flow, especially that are going to, you know, potentially have interference with, with these, uh, you know, deep foundation um, elements and that gets overlooked all the time.
1: Dude, I yeah, I I completely agree, man. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a part two to this. I can't can't tell you I'm excited about it because I've been in a lot of projects recently where I've seen this is this is really coming into play, like really making this data work for all project stakeholders. Enough with these silos. If we have BIM data We need to make that work, whether, you know, it's exporting and making it a DWG or DXF or, you know, what have you. We need to make sure that the people can get the information that they need, that all of it is there. And it's modeled in in terms of a detail that they need and they can understand and it translates well. So, yeah, dude, thank you so much for taking your time and jumping on here with us. Um, And, yeah, dude, I'm looking forward to part two.
2: Yeah, and if you want to share my LinkedIn contact or anything with your listeners too, I know we kind of flew through that uh, recap and civil three D workflow to get scan data into Revit and not uh, slow down your model. I'm happy to connect with anybody and um, share a walkthrough on that. Oh yeah,
0: I'll add that in the notes, man. We'll put a link in there and uh, we'll uh, we'll put you on blast, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. All right. So thanks, well, thanks, guys. Again, that was a pleasure.
2: Will. And uh, happy birthday, David. And uh,
1: cheers. cheers.
0: Cheers. Hey, BWB fans. Are you looking for an amazing clash detection plugin? Are you looking for something to speed up the coordination process for you and all those that are working with you on the project? Well, then I implore you to check out Sherlock. It's an awesome plugin revolutionary by this company called Flypaper. What Sherlock does allows us to speed up the, the clash detection process. And it's got a lot of amazing functionality. It was actually voted uh, one of the top five plugins by national BIM consulting firm viatechnic Hey, Dave, what are some of your favorite features? They've got some pretty good tools in here. Here.
1: I'll start out with the heat map tool. So essentially this one gives you the ability to click to highlight some of the worst areas in your model. And then if you double click, it actually allows you to tag your class groups for your team. They have the distill tool, which is a simply essentially a grouping tool based on your um, established model hierarchy. And then you have the orient tool, which the orient tool. Kind of reminds me of what we had in in glue kind of old school bim 360 glue but it allows you to orient anyone to the exact pipe conduit duct you know section anything in your model like like i said there create that kind of shared view and send that off to your team so if you're looking for coordination um like joe said this this add-in has some very very helpful tools it's built right into navisworks so you're going to see as you take this over and utilize it either, you know, with the distilled tool, that orient tool or the heat mapping. I think it's a great plugin to bring into your coordination workflow.
0: And if you're looking for some ROI and statistics to go behind it, it's worth a try, especially because on average, it saves eight and a half hours saved per week. That's valuable time back into not only your your coordination meetings, but valuable time back into your, your production time and valuable time that you're not working overtime.